film fans. We are back the first week of June, which is Pride Month. So salute to all our friends in movies and TV and the local theater scene because I am going to Shakespeare tonight with the great Andre de Shields as King Lear. So I'm excited. That should be fun. Uh, oh, I know. I know. And uh, it's got quite a formidable cast, I hear. And then theater is back. I'm going to the rep tomorrow. So, hey, we're back. But we are here to talk about a myriad of entertainment. And we have two guests this week. We have Joshua Ray. Hey, Joshua. Hey, Lynn. Thanks for having me back. Well, I'm glad because you're going to talk more about Pride events, which I'm really excited about, especially the one you're doing at the Arcadin, because our other guest, Peter Carlos, and I would remember seeing Hello. written on the wind. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for having me here. Well, we are very happy to have you. And uh, you are the chair of the Cinema Arts Program at Lindenwood University. And how long have you been? been the program chair three years i'm coming up uh at the end of my uh tenure here uh but three years and i uh followed ben Shally, who did it for like 10 or 15 years and and ben kind of set the program up and and uh he did all the heavy lifting so i kind of slid in there he wanted more time with his family so i said sure uh, well, i i have served with both of you on the Cinema St. Louis juries. Right, right. Yeah, uh, Ben's, a, he makes documentaries, award-winning documentaries, and uh, he's very good. And he's one of our star teachers. And then we have Andrew Mellons, who uh, came to us from China. He was over there in China uh, for about 10 years teaching. And so he'll be taking over. Uh, so I'm shifting everything over, but this is my last month as, as chair. Oh, ha. Well, you are also a freelance producer, director, writer, and editor, and you have made films. Short films, yeah. Um, I've worked on other people's features. I worked out in LA, uh, but I make short films. I like the short film uh, format, and I teach short film production, ironically. Uh, and uh, I, did, I started teaching for Joe Schuster at Webster for Josh's. Uh, took over his class when when Joe took a sabbatical and then I presented it to Linda Wood and they said sure so uh yeah I like the short film uh format and I try to show my students all the classic you know short films that are out there uh some great stuff and, and I think it, we see that at the uh, the filmmaker showcase and the international uh film festival so I appreciate that too. I watched, well, there's Carl. Hey, Carl Middleman, how is Florida? Oh, he can't hear me yet. Can't hear you yet. Hey, Carl, are you there? I am here. How All are right. you guys? Great. Good. We just started. So um, we, are, we have to welcome Carl because he is in Florida on the college tour. Oh, we're losing him. Yeah, you're on mute, Carl. Well, damn it. Now I'm not. Okay. Uh, every time I swipe to the left, I, I get muted. So I will stop doing that. 
Well, where are you in Florida right now? Well, I was in Sarasota, Florida this morning all day looking at Ringling College of Art and Design. And then yesterday I was in Winter Park, Florida, looking at uh, Full Sail University. Very well known. Mm -hmm. Very well known for film production. And your daughter is going into animation. Yes, yes. It's It's very... It's very well respected, and she would fit well in both places. Uh huh. What about California? Cal- See, that's the problem with New York and California. There are schools in both California and New York that she wants to look at, but currently those schools are closed to visitors, so we can't go there. Yeah. And she doesn't. She doesn't want to go to a school site unseen. Oh and no! I understand. Yeah. Good idea. I know. Did you see uh, uh, Peter since you went to Middlebury in, in Vermont? Did you see it before you went? Middlebury, I, w- I went there for a writer's conference uh, workshop. And so I was there back when John Gardner was alive, uh, John Irving, who wrote GARP. Uh, yeah. There were some of my uh, instructors. And so I found out about the graduate school by going to the writer's conference. And then I applied to the graduate school and 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 got in. So, wow. yeah, it's wow. it's 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 a great place to you know we would write all week and turn our papers on Friday. And then we would go down to Ripton where uh, um, there were a few bars down there, and then we'd kind of <laughs> yeah we do what writers do. Uh, Robert Frost lived in the area, and so we had a few for him. And then we'd go back up the hill, and then we'd write more papers, take more classes, and so that's the life of school. So, Carl, you're you, you got to get used to that. That's that's the, well. I'm ready. Well, yeah. she's ready. She really yeah. wants. She she's a rising senior, so we still have another 15 months of annoying her before she leaves us. Where's she going? Right, high school. Uh, she is at, um, let's, let's just say a private school in the St. Louis area. <laughs> okay. Private right, Catholic girls school in the St. Louis area. Okay. That narrows it down even more. <laughs> and she, uh, uh, well, she, uh, did really well at, uh, the honors program in May. She did. She did yeah. very well. Yeah. So well, it's good. Well, speaking, uh, we're going to get started with new releases. And speaking of New England, we have those paranormal investigators, the Warrens, back at it in their uh, New England home in Connecticut. But they are connected to a case in Danvers, Massachusetts. This so, is the eighth film in the Conjuring series. But it's, but the, it's, only, it's only the third Conjuring movie, but it's the eighth film. Because the nuns and the curse of La Llorona, those all count in the conjuring world. Right. And Annabelle, the doll. Oh, yeah. But this is, is Annabelle Ouija creation. Is a better. part of it, too? No, Ouija's not part of the conjuring world. Why does it feel like it is? Shouldn't everything <laughs> like that be a part of the conjuring world? Let's just say it is, right? Right. Well, The Conjuring 3 is the trilogy with Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga as the famous ghost hunters. But this is a departure from the haunted house ones that I that creep me out so much in one and two. I'm just a weenie about demonic possession 
and these scared the bejesus out of me. So this one, I was tense to turn it on, but the sub, the, the head is, I mean, the movie's called the devil made me do it, which in the sixties was a throwaway line that comedian flip Wilson made famous. And then they used it in a real life court case because this young man who killed his neighbor slash landlord uh, said the devil, I was possessed by a demon and they, the demon made me kill this guy. So the Warrens got involved with his defense because his girlfriend's brother had been possessed by a demon eight years old david getzel and the warrens were called to the house and this eight-year-old the priest comes and they do the exorcism but the boy orny johnson says to the demon come into me which the demon did which is terrifying and thus starts this story where it's it's horrific like the other two but it's a little bit murkier because they bring this occultist in who's controlling the demons because they have to bring a soul back to hell and they're not getting one if the warrants are involved so that's the whole premise so it's it gets in the weeds in this one and the court case is wrapped up in very quick fashion at the end. And I'm not going to tell you what happens, Good. but you can look it up. But it's it was a 1981 very famous case called The Devil Made Me Do It. And Tom Snyder of Tomorrow fame had a show talking about it. So wow. they show at the end, they show clips of it, you know, to show that this was this really happened. So this is the basis of this movie, but it's not directed by James Wan, who did the first two Conjuring. He and he did the story for it, but the uh, guy who did the Curse of La Llorona, which Carl saw, and I did not, he directed this. Michael Chavez. And what did you think? I, I thought it was fine for what it is. It's fine. It's not as um, de- that demon possession stuff really gets me. So I thought it was terrifying. It's not as terrifying as the first two with the unknown when when uh, oh Lily Taylor is in the basement with the candle and the, and the clapping. Oh! And- <clears throat> yeah, that's a that's a bit much for me. You know, I haven't kept up with any of these films, and I love watching horror movies but I, I actually wasn't like a huge fan of the original Conjuring and I know that's kind of a controversial opinion um, but if anything's gonna keep me coming back it's Vera Farmiga I'm a fan of hers from Bates Motel whatever you think of that show it's oh, very she inconsistent was great she was <laughs> great as the but mom the, yeah The kind of hoops she jumped through, performative hoops she jumped through to make that character a person and a a an unstable person at best. Uh, It's wild. It's one of the weirdest performances, but it kept me going throughout that the entire five seasons of it. So, in essence, I'll come back to the Conjuring just for Patrick Wilson. Joshua, 
I believe I believe you, and I will say that the second one is better than the first one. Everyone okay. liked the first one, but there's only one really scary moment in the first one, and that's the clapping scene in the yeah. in the stairwell, and that's the only thing that is scary about the first one. The second one is much better, and this is, I haven't seen the eighth one yet, but I've seen the other seven, and it's a nice little world that they're building. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Warrens are the ones that cracked the Amityville horror case. And so yeah, but they're not allowed to talk about that one. Yeah, no, that's their claim to fame. And then they moved on to these other ones, but she was a clairvoyant. They use her clairvoyancy in this and it's pretty frightening, but this occultist has a backstory that is the one that's setting off the curses. Oh, so I, so. I got to ask you, and no spoilers, so don't answer it if it's a spoiler. Did the devil make him do it? <laughs> yes, the devil okay. made him do it. All right. Yeah, Good. yeah. The, 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 yeah. Then it's all worth it. I know. It has a very dar a dark, as they all do. You know, in New England, they have these rambling big houses. Yes. And nobody puts lights on anywhere. And and they have these creepy basements, and it's just uh, the the jump scares are are fairly telegraphed, but I still jumped, and uh, they take a while to build up, like they telegraph everything pretty much, and then I don't know about you, but when you see demonic possession, I think that's very hard to act natural, <laughs> so. So yeah, there's a creepy morgue scene. Oh, there's just there's a lot of creepy moments in this if you like that sort of thing. If you are a non-believer, then it's not it's not going to dent you uh you know, it's not going to dent, but if you believe in Satan worshipers and Oh, I believe in Satan worshipers. I just don't believe in that whole occult kind of thing well i think the warrens have proven differently but but there uh, so the lady lorraine died uh in 2019 but she was the consultant for the original two movies and they loved her and so uh they they show her at the end they show ed at the end the real ones but I think Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga do a good job. They're like, somebody referred to them as the, the June and Ward Cleaver of Ghost Hunters. <laughs> yeah. They're both great actors. Very good actors. Yeah. Yes. So that's the big uh, marquee name. You can see it in theaters and then on HBO Max through July 4th. Cool. So that's the big thing. And it's I will. It's, I will. If I wasn't traveling, I would have seen it already. Um, it's no Quiet Place Part Two, but it's serviceable to that genre, to that universe, to that story. You know, it is what it is. As I say, now we have small movies this week, Peter. I'm not sure if you saw anything uh, because we get these indies that are always video on demand. But Joshua, did you see Undyne? 
Yeah, um, it's Undine. It's like Undine. Oh, <laughs> no, you're good. Like you wouldn't know unless you've seen it. Um, it's based upon the like mermaid myth Undine uh, fairy tale. It's Christian Petzold's new movie. If you guys remember Phoenix, that was kind of a sensation, a critical sensation in 2015. Mm-hmm. And then he made the film Transit a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, Transit and Undine um, played the St. Louis International Film Festival. That's actually how I saw Undine. Um, it's, it's not as great as those other two films, his previous two films, but that's saying a lot because they're some of the best of the decade probably. Um, but it is a, an interesting movie. It still has the themes of kind of, um, you know, histories colliding together, except this one is less a suspense narrative um, and more of a, a romance. Um, and it kind of doesn't really resemble his other ones visually. He's using a new digital technology. And of course there are some special effects because uh, it is a mermaid movie. So um, it's uh, the, the lead, Undine, uh, well, the female lead is Paula Beer, who was in transit, was the female lead in transit. transit. And then um, the male lead from transit is actually the male lead here. So. Um, if you liked Transit, that's certainly an end there. And they're, they're both just really excellent performers. And um, I'd say it's, a, it's an interesting movie. It's not one of his best films. He's really working in a different mode than what I'm used to seeing him in. And Christian Petzold's made, you know, kind of suspense modern noir films for a couple of decades now. So this is kind of a change of pace, um, but it is an interesting movie and one that I would say, yeah, I would recommend that anyone who's a little bit more on the adventurous side. Well, it is in uh, German and it is uh, in English subtitles. It is playing at Plaza Frontenac starting June 4th, but it is also video on demand as well. and. Paula Beer won the Best Actress at the Berlin Film Festival for this. And yeah, absolutely. And she's fantastic in it. And um, I have to look up. The, the male lead is... Well, there's Franz Rakowski. And Franz I, Rakowski, did, I, yes. did, I did watch this, but I was really tired. So I'm <laughs> not... I was kind of nodding in and out because I had had anesthesia. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Um, it's magical realism, so I don't know what parts are real and what parts were in her imagination. But there well, is a really by the end of it, yeah. By the end of it, it all becomes pretty clear, and it is sort of a tragic now, ending. And you can... we lost Carl. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna Gina watch. Joshua, did he see it in the? Saw it in the theater, right? Because you saw it at, for Sliff. No, this was one of the virtual features virtual. Um, ah. for Sliff last year. Um, I'm going to okay. watch it again because yeah. I uh, fell asleep at a critical time. And I was yeah, like, and I have to tell you, all, his films, um, they tend to be very, uh, you know, what's the, the, the turn of phrase everyone likes to use? Deliberately paced. 
but they do, they kind of crawl under your skin and they, um, by the end of them, there's always a, a kind of coalescing that happens in his themes that are re really something special that it turns out to be. And anyone who's seen Phoenix will never forget the end of it. And I won't spoil it, even though it's a six-year-old movie. Um, but to spoil it is probably a sin. Well, there's an elegance to his films. I'll give you that. And there's also, um, he can be challenging. So, Absolutely, yeah. Which is good because he doesn't dumb down things for his audience. But I thought it looked, I thought it had a good look. And I thought the performers were really good. And it's only 91 minutes. So that was good. Now, the other film, uh, Carl, did you see Spirit Untamed? It's an animated. I did. I did not. I didn't see the first one, so I didn't see this one. And I also heard it was not very good. Well, I enjoyed it because of its female perspective, and uh, anything that uh, is, uh, is is shows, uh, you know, young girls and family and friendship and courage. I it was cute. It was. It's aimed. It hits its target audience. It is aimed for families and for young girls. And it's not like a profound Pixar movie at all, but it's girls and their horses. And when I was a little kid, all the girls were reading Black Beauty and National Velvet. And we were seeing all those movies. And I know quite a few of my friends, their daughters would put on their Christmas list like Pony. So, so it's a girl and her horse. And it's a wild Mustang named Spirit. And the first movie was in 2002 and it starred Matt Damon as the voice of the horse horse it was spirit stallion of the Cimarron so obviously it's out west and then this one has yeah, I, a, I still didn't see it this <laughs> one has a huge voice cast big name yes big yeah. name it's a Jake Gyllenhaal's the dad. Julianne Moore is the aunt. Her late mother is Aiza Gonzalez, who was in King Kong and and uh, the one that everybody loved on Netflix, but I hated. I care a lot. She's the foil of Rosamund Pike, and then uh, the well, actually, she's the partner. Of Rosalind Pike. Anyway, uh, Walton Goggins is the villain. Wow. Yeah, I know that Jake and Julianne said that they did the voices in their homes, in the bathroom, in a closet with pillows around them, uh, I guess because of COVID and whatever, but they, they found that a little unusual, but they like doing it. In fact, Jake said he's going to do that for every film now on have pillows around him and you know, <laughs> so, uh, it kills yeah, the sound it's cute it's not you know it's just it's aimed for young kids and grandparents can take their grandchildren to it it's in theaters or it, it was more based off this tv show that netflix had called spirit untamed and that ran 2017-2019 and basically this is kind of a retread of one of the episodes of the television so i know they're doing a grab here but the little girl is voiced by 
Isabella Merced, and she was Dora in the live action Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which you Ooh. saw, Carl. And yep, she was really good in that. And her friends are McKenna Grace and a, another girl that uh, Marseille Martin. Oh, Andre Brower plays uh, Jake oh, wow. Gyllenhaal's best friend and a dad of one of the girls. And the, the adventure aspect of it's good. It's got decent action and it's out West. I think the allure of the Wild West is always a draw. And so I thought it was cute for what it is, but obviously it's, you know, critics got to be critical. So <laughs> it's not getting the best reviews at all, but maybe it's because I watched it on a Sunday afternoon and it was a pleasant diversion. It does yeah. sound like a Sunday afternoon movie. Yeah. yeah. Especially if the family's just sitting around, there's nothing to do. I mean, in the, in the quarantine times, it would have been perfect, you know, because it would have passed time. Now, a film that a, a lot of people are going to identify with, but isn't going to be an easy watch for people of a certain age, it's, called, it's a documentary called It's Not a Burden. And the subtitle is The Humor and Heartache of Raising Elderly Parents. And the filmmaker, Michelle Boyner, she uh, has been taking care of her elderly mother, and she decided that she would interview 20 different families across the U.S. who are taking care of aging parents, taking them to doctors, dealing with dementia, dealing with different issues, like her dad's a hoarder and her mom's getting dementia. And so she's interviewed. It's a personal story for a lot of people there's a dancer from singing in the rain who had a partner for 50 years and he died so members of the uh, this lgbt support group come and visit him make sure he's okay so it's not necessarily family family but your found family or the family you make but there's all sorts of personalities involved here and uh that they hit on a lot of the stereotypes of older people and aging, but they do it with humor. This one guy is a single dad and his mother and the computer and her phone and everything is pretty funny. And you all know about children teaching you technology or you're the one that's teaching your mom technology. I bet you do that, Joshua, to your mother. I have to tell you, my mother surprised me um, probably about two weeks ago and sent me a gift through a text message. And I wanted to fall on the floor. So I identify with this film completely, having not seen it yet. Yeah. Well, and Peter, your children probably teach you a few things too, don't they? No, a little. But, you know, I work in communications and technology. Uh, I'm usually teaching my wife things on uh, you know how to copy and paste and and those things and she's a para teacher where she works with disabled kids but i'm there's always something that's not quite right and i'm going in and say do this do that she goes, i didn't know that and so i i can relate to this and you know with us living longer uh these are things that are going to happen you know what do you do with your parents and more and more people seem to be getting dementia or something like that, Alzheimer's, you know, and, you know, what, what do you do with these parents? I mean, I'm getting older and I don't 
necessarily want to go into a home later on. I don't want to, I don't want to live till I'm 95. I don't want to live as old as then Dick Van Dyke or Carl Reiner, you know, um, I don't see that, but a lot of us are, are living longer and in better health than our parents. You know, my parents, both of them smoked and drank. And, um, so later on they had a, had a tough life. So I think this is definitely relevant to, to many, many people and it's probably tough to watch at times. Right. It is available video on demand. It's already out there June 1st, but it is a little tough to watch. Now, this woman, uh, she's very candid, the documentary filmmaker. She's been Emmy nominated and uh, she uh, talks about her family. Her parents married. They were Jewish and and her mother had eight children. And then in 1982, she decided she was going to convert to Mormonism and moved to Utah and she got divorced and then she decided to drop the kids off at the dad's and she moved to Utah. So wow. she came back after remarrying, but she had to repair this relationship with her eight children because she left them. And so that's a whole other thing too, of that situation. Cause that's a very unusual. Parent. That is unusual. Yeah, yeah. Most of them are dealing with their parent like putting their parents in assisted living or wanting to take care of their parents from this one told her husband that her mom was a package deal like they would be taking care of her mother if they were going to get married and so they've had the one the mom for a long time and uh, so it's all sorts of different stories around the U.S. and it just shows you that there's a lot of universality in what people are going through most of these parents are 80s and 90s so that's a whole other because people are living longer now my mother she she smoked like a chimney and she died of lung cancer at age 70 so we did not have to deal with moving her from her house to assisted living or a skilled facility or any of that kind of thing we didn't have to, but my grandmother had Alzheimer's disease and we had to put her in the nursing home and she didn't know she was there, but you know, she, she acted like so many people do where they think they're young again and they're living in their family home with their brothers and sisters. And she didn't know who I was and you know, that whole thing, but that's, that's a lot of issues. So I think this is a, this is a subject that people are going to, uh, relate to and she is really funny in the beginning she talks about when you're a little kid and you go to amusement park with your family but now the roles are reversed and these are the people that took care of you so you're taking care of them and you just don't want them to get lost and then you hope nobody's throwing up <laughs> from the rides so it's kind of an interesting look at like uh you know life is an amusement park <laughs> Anyway, that's the, uh, I, I don't think it's locally anywhere in a theater. I just think it's video on demand because it's from a small distributor. Now, the film that's going to make me sound really old and that I hated is called Gully. And I thought when I said yes to uh, the screening link uh, offer, it has Kelvin Harrison Jr. in it. And I thought, well, he's great. 
this will be good. And Jonathan Majors, who was in The Last Black Man in San Francisco and also mm -hmm. in Defy Bloods and Lovecraft Country, if you watch that on HBO. Right. And I thought, well, this is going to be really good. And it had Charlie Plummer and it had Jacob Lattimore. He's a buzzworthy actor right now. And the adults in it were John Corbett and uh, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard and Robin Givens was but in they're it. They're decent actors. They're yeah. decent. Yeah. So I thought, oh, this will be good. Oh, it is uh, the only good thing is it's 81 minutes and I could not wait <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I could not but, yeah but if it's a bad movie that you know that feels like three hours oh, and yeah. so so what is it though I've never yeah. heard of it and I'm looking at it now and it looks like it was delayed for quite some time and it yes. sounds like you uh, understand why yes it was uh in the Tribeca Film Festival in 2019. Wow. And uh, they're just now coming out with it. It is directed by a guy very famous for music videos. His name is Nabal, uh, Nabil uh, Elkerdin. I'm trying to look at my notes here. Um, Elderkin. He's done music videos for uh, Kendrick Lamar and Travis Scott, who has a cameo in the movie, mm -hmm. and Kid Cudi and uh, other people. Anyway, he's a very big deal in the music video. This is his first feature film. It looks like a cross between a music video and a video game. In fact, he mm. shows it's very Grand Theft Auto-like. And these three boys, they're in South LA. They're teenagers. They're truants. They're uh, had rough childhoods, but this is not Boys in the Hood at mm. all. This is uh, very disturbing. Uh, so these guys, they're aimless. The one kid that Kelvin Harrison Jr. plays, Jesse, he is mute because he was abducted as a child. And there's some really horrific elements to the story, but I would spoil it for people if they want to watch it. It is on video on demand. Uh, it's not playing locally at a theater. And uh, it's the level of violence is extreme. It is like a clockwork orange sadism. And uh, the retribution that comes later doesn't make up for what you scene that you can't unsee uh so these guys they do this rampage for 48 hours where they just bash heads and break bodies and create mayhem on their streets and it's fueled by a lot of drugs and alcohol and uh I don't know if they're just trying to say, oh, these poor kids have a terrible life, but it doesn't excuse what they wind up doing. And uh it does look like a video game parts. And then there's this fantasy element that really doesn't work. One of the boys is seriously mentally ill and not getting any help. And uh, it's really just very messy, very choppy. The narrative isn't cohesive. And, you know, we've had many coming of age stories where people are disadvantaged circumstances, but this doesn't excuse what you see, because there's no hope and there's no emotional resonance. You can't connect with them. 
at all. Now, I will say this, the moms are really caring and trying to help their kids. Amber Heard plays Charlie Plummer's mother. Wow. Of all, I mean, that's kind of bizarre. Yeah, that makes me feel very old when you say that. Amber Heard is like a a young woman, right? <laughs> right. Well, she, she had him very young, and I think there's some, uh, it, you know, I think she has survived through mm. um, uh, illegal means. <laughs> but she's trying to tell him what life is really like. He has a pregnant girlfriend. And he has no job or no sources of things. So she's trying to tell him, well, when your child comes on, what are you going to do? How are you going to support? You know, so she's doing that. And then Robin Givens plays the uh, boy who's who's not taking his meds and should be. And she's terrified of his violent outbursts, but she feels very helpless. And she's very nervous around him. And then... Um, the uh, person who abducted Jay, Jesse um, uh, has like a, has another family and keeps this kid in this house. And this is why this kid's mute now. And it's very disturbing, very disturbing. And so people don't know he's been abused. And when his friends find out, they, they uh, um, attack the guys, the family and it's it's like it is like watching a version of the clockwork orange because they're trying to make this into dystopian future but it's just it's just really really hard to watch because it's so savage and i don't understand the point of of it of it but then now i sound really old (laughs) (laughs) no i I mean i sort of align with you on things like that often so i don't think that's the case when well if there's not an empathetic character or an interesting character that you can follow what about the title uh where's the title come from it's a hindu word for narrow lane okay Mm. yeah uh you know i don't like those movies where it's just violence all the way through and and you you know it's it's not interesting or or you can't find a through line with it uh, i don't know I, I i don't it doesn't sound like something I'd, I'd like to watch well jonathan major's character is a guy he's a neighborhood fixture everybody likes him his name is greg he just gets out of prison and he's trying to rebuild his life mm-hmm. and so he's trying to do that his character and his story thread could have been a whole other movie. Yeah. It's very underdeveloped and it takes you out of the other situation, but I guess it's a means where he's trying to help the boys out. And, and then uh, uh, I don't understand, but yeah, that's to me, it's like just such a waste of those talents. So the, the script was got by a guy named uh, Mark, um oh, marcus i forget his name but it was developed at the sundance institute it was one of those screenwriting programs where mm-hmm. you know they help you develop your script so i don't know but it should have been really reworked because yeah if you don't have any hope or any emotional resonance if you can't care about any of the characters yeah, and just- it comes down to story 
you know, story and character. And it's got to be an interesting character, even if it's not sympathetic or empathetic. Uh, But you've got to have a story that that you just go, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And you don't have to have a character that's a superhero, but you have to have a character that's interesting enough. You go, I want to follow this person, you know, and find out what happens, you know, so... Oh, yeah. Like there's a scene where they just uh, this guy that's in a Mercedes SUV uh, gives it gives them shit, you know, talks trash to them on the road like uh, because they're, you know, high and just driving crazy. And he pulls up and he yells at him and then they start cussing him. Well, then they follow him, I guess, to his house and then they attack his wife and uh, they attack him. And it's really vicious and horrible. And, and then they go, um, you know, on this, they just go on this spree where it's just like, okay, what's the, what's the point of this? And they're saying, you know, there's consequences to things, but they don't seem to, I don't see why the law enforcement isn't on them quicker. But one of the guys leaves their phone at the scene of one of their their uh, uh, I guess their yeah their crime, and so that's how they get him. But that doesn't happen till the end, and so I'm probably giving too much away. But anyway, yeah. So so it's so funny because I went to Rotten Tomatoes to see what people thought, and so then there's these ones about how this this director's got this exciting vision and style. And then the other ones are giving it like a 0.1 and a 1.5. So there's some giving it a five out of five. And then there's some giving it a one out of five. So I guess it's what you think, but uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching streaming, but uh, Joshua, oh no. Uh, he, uh, Carl just said a monsoon has kicked off the Wi-Fi. Oh, oh God. Well, um, okay. Yeah, I see that he dropped out at some point. Oh, he just showed me a picture. Oh, my God. It's a very dark sky. Okay. Well, he should get off the road then. Get off the road and pull over, do something. Yeah, yeah. Wow, just uh, so the uh, thing that uh, Peter and I have been talking about, Joshua, is Mayor of Easttown. And I don't know, did you watch any of the episodes? I haven't, you know, with these series, Uh, I tend to let them run their course and then get a final verdict. Um, And I'm getting the feeling that that was a big mistake with this one that I should have been watching it from the beginning with everyone else because it's so rare that everyone's got these, you know, quote unquote, water cooler moments. But this seems to be the one for everyone right now that everybody's talking about. And I feel like I've missed out, but feel free to go spoiler heavy. I, I, I'll still watch it and I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Oh, I don't want to spoil it. Do you, Peter? I don't want to spoil it. No, but I, I think that uh, definitely you know, we're seeing something that we haven't seen before. We're seeing a, an, an anti-hero in, in uh, Kate Winslet, who's just 
incredible. You know, I mean, she's she's so good in it. Uh, she doesn't wear any makeup. Uh, she's willing to uh, kind of go all out. She's eating hoagies with with mustard all over it and uh, blows her nose and and just and and she's not the most uh, well nice person. Even though she's empathetic and in, in the things that have happened to her, I mean, you know, she loses a child, something that you can relate to, and it's you know to. And I have friends, and, and this guy who just called me, keeps calling me. Um, he lost a child when he was younger. I had another friend who, and, and you know, that that's life-changing. I mean, that's just amazing. I don't know how she's able to do her job because the one friend I have, he's just totally paralyzed. It's just been about a year and a half. Um, but she has a job that she has to do, and, and she, I think she's quite good at it. Don't you think... Yes, when, I yeah. do, because at first they're, they give you the impression that she isn't because she couldn't solve this uh, missing girl case. Right. And that's what we see at first. And then another girl winds up murdered. And so they bring in an outside detective who is played by Evan Peters, who... It's wonderful, 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 wonderful. Wonderful as this detective. And he has a St. Louis connection because he lived here for a couple of years when he was younger. I think so, yeah. Uh, and so, but he's he's very good. But the beauty of this was HBO had one episode a week since April 18th. And by it drew more people every week because everybody was talking about it. So it wasn't a binge where you sit down and you watch all eight episodes. So you had to wait and Twitter went crazy and Stephen King loved it. And in fact, the other day, uh, uh, after the sixth episode, he said, I don't think it's this guy, but if my hunch is right, I'll tell you if I'm correct. And then everybody was chiming in that they didn't think it was the guy either. And then, uh, so after the last episode Sunday night, he tweeted and people went crazy because they hadn't seen it yet. So he took it down. He took down what he said. And I didn't see it. I just saw the aftermath where people were just really just, so upset because you know people watch things at different times and i think carl was watching it he and his wife were watching it two episodes at a time and my sister's like that she and her husband they wait for one and so they watch two at once so those people you know and she wasn't going to watch it till monday i think whatever but then you know i had friends texted me about the theories everybody had theories about right. who it was and who it might have been. And the script by Brad Inglesby, Joshua, he wrote The Way Back and he's done a lot of the okay. scripts of uh, Ben Affleck films. Right. And he grew up in that area. And But this writing is exceptional. Right. And and the the area that it, it the location is another character because yes. of the way they talk, uh, the way the people live. It's small town but it's more than that and he really got it because he lived there and his wife is from there too um you know in pennsylvania and they shot on location uh 
and I know they had to, uh, because of the pandemic, they had to stop for a while and then come back and pick it up. Uh, but it's just, just the look, it got everything, the, uh, who's the director, uh, Craig Zubel. I mean, they seem to get everything correct, you know, from the clothing to the makeup to the, they told the actors to come in with bed hair, come in with your best bed hair. Um, and uh, we, you know, we don't want you to comb it. We don't want you to, you know, necessarily wash it. Um, and uh, I know it crashed. It crashed on the, the final night. I went in there and it said, check your, you know, check charter. And I was so mad, but I had, I had HBO on another thing. And so I went to that and I missed a minute of it. Um, but I was, I was really upset because I wanted to binge this. I wanted to binge it because it was so good. The writing, as you said, Lynn, is so very good. And he was worried about that. He was worried because he had only written features up to that point and had not written a series. So he was kind of worried whether he would be able to, to pull that off. And I thought he did a, a wonderful job uh, yeah, wrap it up. Well, there were so many loose ends. I kept thinking, how is he going to come up with these loose? How is he going to figure this out? Because I read a Vanity Fair article where he promised that everything, everything. would be resolved. And I was like, I don't know how he's going to do this. And so these friends would be texting me. How is this all going to happen in just two more episodes? What's going to be? And we were all talking. And the guy, Pierce character, threw everybody off because everybody's thinking I, I thought it was him yeah yeah well and they also were like how can just he he's playing this minor character and why would you hire guy pierce to do that but uh what i've heard is uh he was going to be like a nice part of mayor's life and kate winslet knew him so that's what happened from meldrick fairs yeah from another series they did and I, th I think they hired another person and he couldn't do it for whatever reasons. So she kind of ha she has a man crush on him and really likes him. So she called him up and he said, sure. And she said it wasn't a big part to him, but he was willing to, to do it. And, uh, you know, being a, a, being a, a teacher instructor, you know, I could kind of relate to that sort of thing, you know, the, the minor celebrity, you know, wrote one book and, and that's made him famous, but you know, he's not really a big deal. Uh, but he, he, in fact, the car he drove away from at the end was supposedly the same kind of car he drove in Memento. Uh, oh. I found, uh, I found that pretty interesting um, that there were a lot of these things thrown throughout, but that last episode, I mean, you think uh, it's all over in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. You think it's over and you go, okay, I get it. And, but it's not, it's not well, over. I, I knew it wasn't because I looked at my, I looked oh, the at the time yeah. and I said, oh, wait, we got 50 more minutes to go. This isn't, this isn't over, but I loved how they involved everybody. And then Julianne Nicholson uh, is yeah. so good. She uh, was great in August Osage County. That's the first time I really noticed her. And she's just so good in this. And then uh, Jean Smart is having oh, yeah. renaissance and she's great as the mom. And now she has hacks. 
on HBO, which is really interesting. I've been watching Hacks. It. Yeah. Hacks Hack is so good. I mean, it's definitely Joan Rivers. Yeah. Uh, right. you, I mean, right. I, I directed Joan Rivers in a commercial uh, in St. Louis a long, long time ago, back when her husband was here, the one who committed suicide. So he kind of stood in the back. But when I look at this Hacks, it's definitely Joan, Joan Rivers. And uh, it's wonderful. It's funny as hell. Uh, oh yeah i like that we get two episodes at once because yeah. one isn't enough and then you watch it but yeah no and then the girl from it's always sunny in philadelphia playing her daughter she's good what, uh, uh, what it's an olsen what is her name i don't i wasn't a caitlin okay yeah 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 she's good but this hannah what what's her name the girl that's playing the writer well her mother is pretty famous her mother was on saturday night live um god i can't remember had a einbinder yeah 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 her, yeah her mother was on saturday night live so she had been around comedy for quite a while quite a while so she kind of understood what was going on and um yeah she's hysterical in this in this and it's good because it got you've got good contrast with age and uh comic sense you know sensibility and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great story and it's fun to watch. And it's short too. You know I mean? It's not an hour, hour and a half. It's, it's like short 20, 30 minutes. So it's easy to get through. Uh, you like Josh, you like Axe? I do. And particularly, I, I like that it goes in un, unexpected directions frequently. Mm. Um, there is one episode that just came out that is sort of just the two of them together. Um, well, there's a B plot about uh, Gene Smart's manager too. And it never, it, it, the situations seem very sitcom on the surface, but what ends up happening is something that's much more nuanced, much more detailed. A lot of it is carried by um, Hannah and Gene Smart uh, in their performances and the chemistry that they have together in this kind of burgeoning, friendship mm -hmm. that is happening throughout the series i'm really excited to see where it goes um because i gene smart is getting everything she deserves right now oh. and i'm really really happy that she was cast in in watchmen it seems to be the thing that uh and that season of fargo that she was into oh yeah um, when he's the eat when she's the crime boss mom oh yeah the the matriarch of the crime family uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, the that best, was such a the, the best season of Fargo before it kind of well, I think it went up. Yeah, but uh, yeah, she's so excellent in everything that she does. It's really incredible. I was looking at her IMDb the other day, and just kind of the 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 shallows she was swimming in for a very long time. That happens to you know actors of a certain age, um, and particularly female actors of a certain age. But she's getting the material that is such a great match for her sensibility and so happy for her and yeah. for me that I get to see her. Well, her part in, in Mare uh, is small, but every time she comes on the screen, everything she says uh, really shakes things up. And then there's this uh, one part, I mean, you have to be at the funeral uh, awake for oh. somebody's wife and the scene there and the scene going home is just it's, a, it's an amazing scene, but it's funny. 
And it really gives, you know, the two of them, Mare and, and her mother, a chance to kind of play off each other. Don't you think? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, that, it, that's a complex relationship. But it's the mayor. Another thing besides the relationships they're showing is the um, cinematography is by the same guy who did Beasts of a Southern Wild, that Ben Richardson. And it's just fantastic how gritty and natural it is. And what you were talking about, how the, the town is a character. Right. And just about how these people just feel so entrenched in that life that, that, that they're all living. And that was the number one show ever on HBO. It broke all records for a series. Uh -huh. For a yeah. series it's the highest rated one ever and it did break the internet the it, and it did break the whatever it did because i had all sorts of people i saw online saying uh that they they couldn't watch it that yeah. that it was but i don't know thank god i was good so yeah. i didn't i didn't have an issue with it but yeah um so i think it's when the emmy nominations are announced at the end of july I think it's going to have a bust. It'll win all the awards. It's going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so good. And, you know, for she's definitely going to win all kinds of awards. I think the writing, um, everything about it is is, is so well done. Uh, and, and I I had trouble because a couple of the episodes I had to see like on a Monday or Tuesday just because something was happening on that Sunday and that was okay but I was really upset that I couldn't see the last because I wanted to know what was going you know to go in I like things to wrap up I'm and my son hates this is that I will read the last chapter of a book first or, <laughs> or I will I will find out what happens at the end of a movie first so I know where I'm going and he hates that you know he's a very he's a movie buff and and so uh, I didn't know at the end here what was happening. And I it just drove me crazy. So, um, you know, I think it, you're right. It's going to win all kinds of awards for everybody, everybody. And I don't know if you know this, but Kevin Bacon's son, uh, daughter. Uh, was yeah, it. she was the mother of the young boy. Right, she, right. And, and uh, I, I didn't know. I could not figure out who it was. I kept guessing and guessing. And I was like, I'm just along here because I just can't figure it out. And that's what I liked about it was you were just constantly guessing about what really was happening. And they would just give you enough to hang it out there. And then if you, if you think about it after watching the last episode, if you go, if you think about it, the clues were all there. <laughs> it's just... Oh, that's why it was so, so wonderful. And uh, yeah, so after a mayor and, and it's kind of fun because everybody was talking about it. So you don't want to wait too long, Joshua, because then people will spoil it for you. Yeah, there's yeah that's a major FOMO about it. And I, each week I thought, I got to start right now. I got to catch up. I got to do it. And by the, by the time I realized it was all over, it was all over. So was it I will the, catch yeah. up soon. I think it was the fifth episode. There's a major, major uh, scene event that you don't want anybody to tell you. 
because it's just it just blows you away and you're just oh my gosh i can't believe that happened and that's what i like when i watch something you know i don't want to be able to figure everything out i want to you know the the joy is kind of this happened what this did this person do that but the one thing that they did uh and you know you know what it is land that that it's, it's a character in there that you just go oh oh my gosh so um yeah you have to so many red herrings and just just really fun well i just do love a thriller and uh i don't know what's gonna what's gonna top it this year i know everybody's you know people are really into the true crime stories these Mm -hmm. days and that was a fictional one that wasn't even from and it wasn't even from a book like people thought oh this has to be based on a book no it's totally original yeah he got it from an idea some he just he's talking to somebody having a beer with somebody and they were talking about a small time detective uh and a police department and he thought wow and he started developing his character from that and you know i i i hate when people say it's character driven because everything's character driven (laughs) you uh, you know you have to have the character you have a good good strong character that for whatever reason you want to follow but it, it all comes down to story and i think that uh this guy knocked it out of the park knocked it out of the park it was it was uh it, it kept your attention throughout it kind of seemed slow in the beginning but it picked up and it, it left you at the right moment and you just go oh i want to know and it was tough to wait the whole week i i had problems waiting the whole week for it so yeah you got to watch it josh yeah, definitely. I did. I did watch. Um, I did watch Oslo, which I saw at the rep. It's the Tony winning play. And I did prefer the play over the film. But that's because I didn't know much about it. Now. Now I do. But the film is fine. It's it is what it is. You know, I mean, given what's happened in between Israel and Palestine lately, it's interesting in that regard but it is the opposite of what we've been talking about. It's very deliberate. It's very talky. It's negotiations among people that can't agree. And so it's two hours. I, the play is very long, but it's really well written and structured. And Ruth Wilson is in this and, uh, uh, it doesn't really have a name cast in terms of like big leads, but if you like world history and you like politics, then you're going to like it. Other than that, it doesn't, it's not going to hold your interest at all because it's just very methodical and procedural. That's another thing about the conjuring three. It becomes more of a procedural than a, than a ghost story because it isn't a ghost story in in regards to that all right so uh the uh kennedy center honors are going to be on sunday night on cbs Mm -hmm. and this is delayed from december and i watch them every december i just love the way they do the the tributes there's been these great musical moments in the past they couldn't have it last year this year they have it and it's Garth Brooks and Joan Baez and Debbie Allen and I can Dick Van Dyke. 
Uh, Madora. Yeah. Madora, the violinist. Yes. And mm. so it looks like it's going to be uh, back to form. It's at eight o'clock. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Oh, Garth, did I say? Yeah, I said Garth Brooks. Yeah, there was an interview this morning on CBS uh, with Garth Brooks, and it was uh, Gail King just did a wonderful job. And and uh, I'm not a big country and western kind of guy. I grew up with that in the in the house, but my father also played, you know, Nat King Cole and you know, other, other things like that and temptations, but I really liked him in this interview. And I think I have a little more respect for him. Garth Brooks is just, just an amazing guy. He says, look, I'm not going to change my attitude and what I think, because what I think is what I think just for you to like me, uh, you know, and he quit, I think 14 years to help raise his family. He just, Totally walked right. off the stage and and said family is more important. And now he now he's back and bigger than ever. And uh, so I think they got a good group, you know, for for Sunday. Yeah, it's always a interesting collection, and I just love the stuff that comes out of it. Like the year Hart uh, did the uh, did the Stairway to Heaven for Led Zeppelin, and Led Zeppelin's sitting there crying. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, the if if you ever want to uh, see like Bruce Springsteen, I'm a huge Springsteen fan, and John Stewart did his introduction, and it was so good about John Stewart being from New Jersey and how Springsteen taught him to yearn, what the meaning of yearn was, and it's just a great introduction. So they always have these moments that are unexpected that you don't anticipate. And when they did Yo-Yo Ma a couple of years ago, they, they showed pictures of him playing at the Kennedy White House as a child. Wow. Because he was a child prodigy. So he played for John F, uh, JFK and Jackie at the White House. So things like that you learn and you learn about people that you might not be familiar with, but then you hear their history. But somebody in St. Louis that we know her history now more because of that HBO documentary, Tina and Josh, I know you're a big fan of that. It now is available June 7th for purchase, a DVD to rent or purchase. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's one of the best films that I've seen this year so far. Um, and I didn't expect that. I think that's one of the great things about it is that um, a lot of people might have thought that they knew Tina Turner's story from What's Love Got to Do With It. And as it turns out, um, there, there's a considerable amount of things that we don't understand about her and things we don't understand because of that film. Um, it, it's a film that's told through chapters of her life, um, chapters that kind of align with the, the different modes that she worked in and the different well chapters that she had as a human being and the different personalities she had to have um, for the public eye and in her personal life and it's sort of about all that how you negotiate your public life um with your private life and Tina Turner is someone who shared a lot of traumatic things very publicly um and resulting from that ended up you know 
keep having even more trauma from it. Um, and that's what the film is essentially about is giving her her stories back. And I think it's just beautifully told and just well put together. Some really great talking heads as it were. Um, you know, it's not a revolutionary documentary in form, but what it does, it does really well. Um, oh, I think Angela. I think it's exceptional the way they tell her yeah. story and the way you thought you knew her story, but you didn't really. And right. Uh, and even here, uh, more and more is coming up because of that. And then now she's going to be inducted as a solo artist in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which will be October 30th. So that should be interesting in itself. Well but what's great about this is people who don't have HBO will be able to rent it or purchase it. And that's going to make a wider audience for her, which I'm really happy about. So. You know, yeah, it truly is a fantastic film. Um, even if you're not a fan of Tina Turner, you know, I love that Phil Spector record, um, River Deep Mountain High is one of my favorite tracks. In fact, um, it's kind of a pivotal moment in her life and in the documentary. Yeah, and uh, it, didn't, but it, it didn't sell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. No, it was not popular at all. And it was just kind of, you know, just kind of landed with a big mountainous thud. Um, but even if you're not a fan of hers or her music, you're going to get a lot out of this documentary, particularly when it comes to, you know, ideas about celebrity. Well, just being a woman uh, at, at her age and the sexism and the ageism, and then to have the abuse of marriage and right. when all that and, came out and uh, yeah. And, and the, the racism and that's, you know, not a, not a huge thread throughout what's love got to do with it but it's blindingly clear in this documentary and there's something that happens you know relatively recent in her story um that is just once she tells the story you just kind of knock your ass on the floor from hearing it um but uh, yeah she's just an incredible woman an incredible story and uh yeah that's awesome that people can just go pick it up seems like that's becoming a a more and more scarce thing yeah well uh, nowadays uh well Redbox, you know they will still do on demand video video on demand and i think google uh is it google tv and movies or google play or whatever but you can get anything on those you know so so even if you don't have hbo you'll be able to see it so did you see the documentary peter no i don't uh i haven't seen it um but I can't imagine somebody not liking Tina Turner. Um, you know, I mean, she reinvented herself. Uh, and uh, it, to me, it's amazing how many artists come through St. Louis. You know, there seems to be, uh, St. Louis seems to kind of draw them in. They play her for a while and then they go off and, and, and make it big. And, and she's one of the biggest stars and, and, uh, you know, I, I like her later work. I, I like the stuff she did later on. I know that uh, the one song that made her famous, she didn't really like. Uh, she wasn't sure whether it was going to be good for her. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've seen it. I've seen, you know, I've seen her perform and uh, she's just, she's amazing. She has so much energy. And, and you know, she taught uh, Mick Jagger how to dance. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. She taught Mick Jagger. He wanted to, to work with her and, and uh, she worked with him and, and, and we got Mick Jagger because of Tina Turner, you know? Yeah. So, and they, uh, they performed together at live. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Yeah. 1985. I remember that. The uh, it's uh, no, we are really blessed to have a lot of great talent in St. Louis, which is just awesome. The um, St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase, as we segue into St. Louis talent, is going to be July 16th to 25th. And they have just notified all the filmmakers that were chosen, but the list isn't out yet. And Peter, you have students that that uh, applied, right? Yeah, we uh, we do a thing called a capstone, uh, which is their final film project. And so we have some students have applied uh, in the last few years. Uh, we've had quite quite a success of students getting into it and, you know, did first opportunity for them to see their film up on the screen. Of course, last year that didn't happen. Uh, I've been in it a, a, a number of times. And you won for your film Gravity in uh, Gra 2012. Yeah, you know, I had another film that, that kind of made me semi-famous. It was called Dad's Day. But Gravity has is, is done real well. It's played in Turkey. It's played in Belarus. Uh, it's played in California and all over. Um, so I think that this showcase is great for beginning artists, to see, you know, kind of see what's going on and get professionals to look at, to get in, get an audience to look at it. Uh, I tell them, go, go watch these films, see what's out there. Go watch your film, but watch the other films. And, and Josh, you know that, that, that they bring in some great people. One of my students, uh, wa uh, his film, uh, The Last Little Italy. Uh, oh, yeah. He just yeah. won an award. I just noticed that. Yeah, yeah, he's what was former student. In fact, I talked to him today. He's working on another project and he's looking for a sound person. So I talk to him occasionally. Uh, he's very, very talented kid. Uh, of course, Ben Shally is, you know, he's had stuff in there and we, we've been, you know, judges for it. So I, I think the Filmmaker Showcase is a great place to kind of start out um, and, and show your film and just be a part of it. I, Chris, Clark has done a wonderful job over there at Cinema St. Louis. He, uh, I don't know how he does it with looking at all these films and picking them. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah, they won the Silver Award at the 42nd Annual Telly Awards. Yeah, yeah, he so... won Telly Award and it's played all over Schnooks. You can get the DVD and Schnooks. Um, and he's won a, a number of festival awards. Uh, well, he was the big hit last summer at the showcase. Right. No, he was a big, and they raised a lot of money. Uh, and then Channel Nine, PBS, had That's it, right. had it on there, and they raised uh, quite a bit by showing the film and selling it and and whatever. So Joey's he's been successful. He did a good job, and he's Italian. I mean, it, you know, he could relate to it. And, <laughs> you know, his father owned. Uh, I think he owned a you know, a uh, restaurant and worked with uh, what a number of people that we know in the business around here, Rich and Charlie's. So, so Joey had a connection with it and um, he worked really, really hard. He's been successful. He told me that 
you know, he's actually made money on it. You know, documentaries are tough. I did, I did a number of documentaries and that's how I came up in the business, but they take two or three years of your life. Um, they're really hard and, and documentaries are coming on strong now and there are festivals just for documentaries, but you, you look, you don't do it to make money. You don't do it, uh, to become famous and, and rich. Uh, you do it because there's something that you care about. And that's why I like Ben Shelley has done some, some wonderful stuff. Uh, and you know, he, he teaches that at, at, at Lindenwood, uh, and Joey was one of our students. So we're very proud of him. So. Well, that's good. Well, Joshua, are you going to be connected with the, with the filmmaker showcase this year? Are you programming any of the, uh, sequences that they, they run? You know, not this year. Um, years past, I've served as jury, but this year, no, not so much. Um, but one thing I will say about the filmmakers showcase is that um, it's a really great opportunity to to learn about our city, and not even just you know some of the great like documentary work like you guys are talking about um, that it the last little Italy from last year, but also just the the kinds of different films from subcultures throughout the the region that you get there and short films narrative films documentaries I mean, it's just, and experimental work too it is animation yeah animation yeah it is a lot of work to go through those things um however it's just so much fun and it just gives you a little bit of inspiration knowing that there is a community in St. Louis that is is backed by film and cinema and that that medium still exciting people here. Um, yeah, and that's why I like being affiliated with Cinema St. Louis too is that you really do get the inside scoop on all these great up and coming filmmakers too. Well, uh, my son, Tim, uh, was accepted, had four comedy shorts accepted, but I guess really the last one was the one that we did with his script, but he was picked uh, three times, um, all when he was in college, all his college films, and we had so much fun going to the Tivoli and seeing it on the big screen with an audience. And when they laughed at lines that he wrote, it just was really fun. It's particularly as a mom, when you're watching people laugh at something your kid wrote, you know, but it was just always so much fun. And then last year was the virtual, which, which the cinema St. Louis guys, Chris and Cliff and Brian and, and uh, well, Bree now doing everything. Mm. They've done amazing work throughout the pandemic, making films available and making and promoting St. Louis. So I hope that this summer it's going to be a hybrid, I understand, because we have relaxed restrictions now. So it'll be fun to see that again. And uh, you're always glad when you see people that you know on screen or you just see a St. Louis where they film in St. Louis. I always am just having a good time picking out where they film certain things. Yeah, it's kind of a St. Louis Where's Waldo, right? <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And some movies do go on to do pretty good things. And so, yeah. And then we'll have the, the film festival. But you are involved in a, in a series at the Arcadin, which is a great place. We had the owners on 
uh, last fall to talk about what they were doing. So what are you going to be doing June 9th? Well, um, part of what I do at Firm of St. Louis is program QFest with Chris Clark and Kate Moore um, and promoting and doing interviews with everyone. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the Arcana and folks, Keith and Sarah, are just really great allies and really great stewards of film in St. Louis. Keith is a great film critic who, uh, before I was aware of him even living in St. Louis, I knew his byline from Plant Magazine. Um, but now and he's bringing his talents to uh, curation. And Arkadin, right now, they're doing a backlot series. They're, the theater, the micro cinema, they call it, is connected to the heavy anchor, the, the great St. Louis. I, you call it a dive bar. It's a dive bar. Um, it's on Gramboy. Yeah, it's in my old Bevo neighborhood when yeah, I lived in uh, Bevo. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but that's just one of the great fun bars in St. Louis. But um, the back lot is literally what it sounds like. It's the back lot of the uh, Arcaden. And they've got a really great screen, a really great setup. And it gets you back to the communal experience. Um, the first time I went was they had a, a Buster Keaton night. Um, and it was just a really wonderful time. And that was the first time I'd seen a movie with a lot of people. So while they've got, um, they're working on the inside, they're still doing stuff outside. They've got a David Lynch series right now. They just showed Fire Walk with me. But I'm partnering with them uh, and QFest to present Douglas Sirk's Written on the Wind on June 9th. That's this upcoming Wednesday. Um, as a, a Pride Month pick, have either of you seen Written on the Wind? No, I haven't. I, I saw it when I was a child with my mother on because uh, my mother loved those soap opera type movies. And on Saturday night, we would stay up late and watch movies. Yeah. Well, it, it's fantastic that you say that because my mother also introduced me to the films of Douglas Sirk. Um, she didn't know that they were all made by the same director, but she really loved Magnificent Obsession and All That Heaven Allows with. Oh, yeah. Um, Susan Hayward. Jane Wyman, and, that, Jane yeah. Wyman and, and Rock Hudson and um, Written on the Wind and Imitation of Life. Those are kind of the major four films that he made, but he was a German uh, immigrant who uh, came right before World War II came to America, started working in Hollywood and was a great theater and film director and kind of had to start from scratch here. But he brings a theatrical sensibility to his films. He worked a lot with uh, Bertolt Brecht. So he is a political filmmaker who's working within the Hollywood system. And Written on the Wind is one of the wildest movies you'll see from that era. Um, it is about a Texas oil family and it is about uh, impotence, alcoholism, money, oil, incest, uh, bar fights, um, you know, almost crashing your car into the family mansion. It is about not being able to get pregnant. It's about falling in love with your uh, best friend's wife. Is he your best friend or is he your gay lover? Look, it's got a lot going on, but it is. It is. <laughs> Things that went over my head when I was like 10 or 11. <laughs> well, so that's what's interesting is, you know, um, programming something like Written on the Wind is not traditionally in the queer canon. 
even though Rock Hudson was a gay, a gay queer uh, person. But uh, nobody knew that back then. Nobody knew that back then, but Douglas Sirk did. And Douglas Sirk, uh, yeah. with purpose, uh, had to code this character as queer, but wanted him to be explicitly queer, ended up tamping it down considerably. But you watch the film now and you immediately understand, uh, you know, when Mary Lee says, do you love me? And Rock Hudson responds, like a brother. The <laughs> twisting of the twisting of words uh, makes it uh, uh, quite palpable. Um, but Douglas Sirk's an interesting filmmaker because he had these brash, colorful surfaces that are um, wild and kind of, um, he said for Written on the Wind, he wanted to use just primary colors, no muted colors, because that meant that his film would be inherently violent, uh, just even visually. But he's known for being a director that his work is filled with irony and a critique of American life. And that's essentially what Written on the Wind is, is um, a screed against uh, terrible Amer American capitalism. Um, but it's also a film that inspired a lot of future queer filmmakers um, in tone, in its soap opera uh, uh, formation. And you can watch this film and you'll see all of Pedro Moldovar, you'll see um, some John Waters, um, Todd Haynes, certainly explicitly uh, influenced by Douglas Sirk making something like Far From Heaven. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a filmmaker who inspired a whole swath uh, generations of queer filmmakers and you would watch this um, really wild soap opera and immediately understand uh, why it's an inspiration to be a gay film critic um, but also a lot of queer people out there who uh, identify and enjoy old Hollywood movies um, but that's Wednesday and I hope I didn't you know spoil too much I'm gonna do an introduction um, probably talk a, a little bit about my own history with the film you know, on top of uh, maybe illuminating some more things that I've said here. But it's attached to a bar. Very least, you're going to have a really great time watching a really great, important work that also just happens to be one of the most fun movies ever made, too. Oh, yeah. Isn't Dorothy McGuire in that? Oh, well, that's something I failed to mention is that... Um, Dorothy McGuire gives the horniest performance in the history <laughs> of cinema and one best supporting actress for it. And her, her performance is, is kind of text for camp, but is, has these beautifully wrought layers of reality into it too and trauma into it that, you know, she's got these zingers and one-liners and really says some really terrible things, does some awful things, um, but it's just a really mesmerizing performance. I don't think there's a moment in Written on the Wind where Dorothy McGuire sits still and isn't vamping for the camera. And it's just, um, it's a marvel to watch. I just remember her being saucy and shaking her head. And then she gives people looks and then doesn't she have a scarf that's just, blowing like in a she drives a convertible is that right yep she's she's doing the most in it she she really is yeah well that's fun too because all of that was hidden back in the day and now we're finding out more things so that's just fun to watch too 
and about how they're portrayed. But yeah, the Arkadin, I've been wanting to go to sit outside and they've even had like, they had the debates out there and they have a Nicolas Cage, uh, uh, they have it monthly, I think now, where they show Nicolas Cage movies and it's a drinking game. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, it's a, they've really got a fun program and they're also highlighting local filmmakers. Um, Striker Spurlock, has a film that he made second film he's a local filmmaker called part-time the first screening actually sold out and they have a second screening that is the night following uh my showing of written on the wind so they've they've also um well by the time this is out it's probably over but they're showing um uh george romero's lost film tonight oh that's right the amusement park movie yeah, and they, they just really have a really cool lineup right now. And I'm excited to see what they do in the future, too. Well, uh, thanks for that. The St. Louis a Jewish Festival is also going on, um, but it's all virtual. And it starts June 6th through the 13th. And they have an a impressive lineup. They have that, that Norwegian film, The Crossing. They have a movie called Here We Are and uh anti-semitism they have a documentary about howie mandel and they have a documentary called egg cream so go to the st louis uh, go to the j website the jewish community center and look at their lineup but that's it's all virtual and it's called travel the world so they have a they have a a 13 films i think that they're doing yeah it's pretty sizable um compared to what they've done in the past and everything but you know, it's just uh, another great micro festival that St. Louis has. I don't think a lot of people know about. No, they don't. They don't. And uh, it doesn't matter what faith you are. You can identify with quite a few of these uh, films. So I, I think it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, like I said, I'm going to the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival tonight in Shakespeare Glen for the first time. And I'm going to sit in a pod. They have pods all over the uh, grounds now. And they do have a blanket area, but I like to sit in a chair. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) You know, those those days of me sitting on a blanket at cons, that's over, you know? And so, but because it is of we're just coming from a pandemic you do have to make reservations so if you go to st louis shakespeare website st shakes.org or stlshakes.org you can find out when you can make reservations for each week and it's here till the end of june and it's the great andre de shields who Wonderful. was one, uh, one of the original cast members of the whiz he won a tony last year this year yeah town and uh he's playing king lear and then a lot of local people are in it but it does have it is a national touring show but they have brought in people from st louis and they came in and 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 all that so that's going to be wonderful and then the muni has announced that at first they were going to have 60 percent capacity but now when they start in end of July, it's going to be full capacity. We are not going to have hmm. to socially distance at the Muni. We're getting have back. Have their shows yet? Uh, it's just going to be five. It, they, they dropped two, didn't they? Yeah, they dropped their kids show, Mary Poppins, and then they dropped Sweeney, Sweeney Todd, which I know a lot of people were looking forward ah, to, but damn. they'll have it in 2022. 
they were. Yeah, I'm looking at their lineup now. Smoky Joe's Cafe, Sound of Music, Seven Brides, On Your Feet, that Gloria Stefan, and uh, wow, Chicago. I, I, you know, this is so exciting. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little reticent of 100% capacity, but I guess by, you know, Chicago starts August 30th. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, well, let's hope more people are vaccinated by then and also the numbers are as low as they are now. Yeah, we don't have a resurgence everyone. because remember last summer we started mm-hmm. easing back in and then by fall everything had to be shut down again and and uh, people are still getting COVID. I know friends yeah. that have gotten it and they were vaccinated. So it's just... Yeah. It is a crazy world out there. There's no rhyme or reason to this. That's why you have to be care, be careful. I think because there is no rhyme or reason to it. Um, anything else you guys want to mention that's going on in the world? I think you got Um, it. I think I'll just double back on, you know, uh, aside from written on the wind being at the, the arcade and, uh, on this Wednesday, the ninth. Is that um, for Pride Month, if anyone else wants to kind of explore more stuff, why don't you go to the Criterion channel? If you don't have a subscription, I don't, I don't know why not, but I think you get a two-week free trial. They've got a really great lineup um, highlighting some queer film classics, some, some modern queer films. They've got everything from like Paris is Burning to Funeral Parade of show, uh, Roses that we showed at QQuest a, a couple of years ago classic Japanese film to uh, more QFest alum, Tom Finland, they've got Fassbender. I mean, there's tons of stuff. They even now have, even though QFest is over, they now have Pink Narcissus, my beloved Pink Narcissus. That was our QFest uh, classic selection from this year. So if you just go to criterionchannel.com, you'll see a lot of that stuff there. That's my plug for Pride Month for everyone. Okay, great. I was going to ask you if you wanted to spotlight anything in particular. So, other than that, so Peter, do you teach summer classes? Uh, no, no. Uh, this is my first summer being nine months. Uh, so, I've got a lot of writing and a lot of movies to catch up, some books, going to the beach uh, in July. So, uh, it'll be interesting. Normally, we have a uh, a film camp for high school kids. We won't be having it this summer. Uh, so it'll, it, we're, we're hoping to be on, on ground in the fall. That's what they're telling us. Uh, so I'd like to be back in the classroom. Uh, I do this Zoom with the student and it works out fine, but it's, you know, since we do hands-on, you know, that's part of our program is touch the camera, you know, direct actors and whatever, and, and tell your story visually. Uh, it'll be good to be back in the classroom with students. And so we're looking forward to that. You know, things are changing fast. And I hope that we get, you know, more people get vaccinated. They're not going to require the students to get vaccinated. We can't really ask them to, but I'm hoping that, that they will because we need, I think we need to get back to normal and get back in the classroom. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, we will have you on again to discuss the, the film that you're writing about Picasso, where you went to Paris last year before it was all shut down. You had to come back. Yeah, working on a script, you know, and when he was 25, 26, he worked on 
La Damselles of Davignon, which is the great Cubist uh, piece. And uh, it's amazing to me, it was only that, that age. And so uh, his struggles with it and how he changed the way that we look at art. And uh, so, yeah, I was, I was there at his studio, walked the streets where he walked. I actually went to uh, La Pen Agile, which is the Agile Rabbit. Uh, so I sat in the seat that he, he sat in and went to the cabaret. The next day they closed Paris up. So yeah, we can we can talk about that next time. It's a, it's just a it was a, such a wonderful time for art and life and and you know they lived in in Montmartre, which is very artistic and uh, you know a lot of movies were shot there at the uh, the Sacred Heart uh, Cathedral there, uh, Four Hundred Blows, uh, the Rendezvous and things like that. So. Uh, yeah, it was a great experience, and I'm going to try to take some students there next year uh, for a week. We'll see how things go. So I'm working on take that. Take us with you. But, hmm? Take us with you, please. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been to Paris like five times, and I, you know, if there's one city that I, I would have to pick to live the rest of my life, that would be it. It's just such a, a wonderful place, and it's so huge, but you can get around on the metro and buses and uh you know i went to see uh you know G uh, jim morrison's grave you know you have to go see that uh but i also went to francois truffaut's grave uh to look at look at that and Love him. yeah yeah yeah, the uh, French New Wave. We'll see. We can talk. We can have a whole right. thing about the French New Wave when yeah. you have the French Film Festival, Joshua. And so we'll we'll do that because that was Amazing. that was my first introduction to foreign films, the French New Wave. Well, they're, they're wonderful films, and uh, you know, it changed everything. I mean, the French they have a word, you know, for everything in, in film, and they believe that they. They invented film, even though the Russians did it and <laughs> the Americans were doing it and, you know, all Germans were doing it. But, uh, you know, the French really did change the way that we look at film and, and they affected, you know, everybody from Dennis Hopper to Tarantino uh, and the way they shot films and the way, you know, Martin Scorsese was, was highly influenced by uh, the French New Wave films. Well, uh, I think, uh, Joshua, you were going to mention the Cannes Film Festival lineup because the French Dispatch, which is Wes Anderson's 10th film, is coming out October 22nd. I have it marked on my calendar, but it's also premiering at Cannes. And you were going to you were going to mention Cannes. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, I, the French Dispatch was a 2020 selection, right, which meant that oh, we were going to play it, but we can't have a festival anymore. But um, Terry Fromeau and gang are coming back with a vengeance. They have a very exciting lineup that does include Wes Anderson's new film, uh, French Dispatch. There's uh, Leos Carax, um, who made Holy Motors, uh, God, about a decade now. Um, Annette, that's a musical with Adam Driver. And Marion um, Cotillard, one of my Marianne favorites. Cotillard. Uh, Mia Hansen loves Bergman Island. And there's a new Hamaguchi. 
Sean Penn's uh, d directorial, oh, I think he's probably made three films now, Flag Day, is in competition. Um, Asghar Farhadi, director of a Separation and The Salesman, uh, has a film in competition. I'm most excited about uh, Memoria, which is Tilda Swinton in uh, A Picture Pong, where Seth Nichols' new film, um, that's people like to call him Joe because of his crazy name, um, a Thai filmmaker who won the Palme d'Or with Uncle Boon Me uh, over 10 years ago now. But there's, they have some really exciting things in their sidebars too. Uh, Sir Tom Regard, they have some new filmmakers there. I'm really excited. There's a uh, an out of competition, something they're calling like a cancel. Like the films that are going to streaming, there is a documentary about the Velvet Underground made by Todd Haynes. Oh. And uh, 16 year old me, if uh, you had told me that that would exist one day, I probably would have just had a heart attack. So. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, there's, it's a really exciting and they're the cans coming back and it, you know, in the past year, we've gotten um, a lot of good movies, a lot of great movies too. But this makes me really excited for the for the upcoming um, slate of films that we're going to be having. And it's July now. It was it's always in May, but they moved it to July. Yeah, so. we would have already had a Palm Door winner by now, but they did move it. Um, thankfully, because there's just so many films here. So yeah, everyone's gonna get to, in France. Well, is gonna get to see the French Dispatch before we get to. And it seemed like there for a while we were gonna be able to see it. Oh, I'd be remiss if I if I failed to mention that Paul Verhoeven has a new film oh. in competition called Benedetta that is um, quote unquote sexy nun movie. So okay. uh, that's very exciting. Well, I will say, I will go on record saying Holy Motors was the most mind-blowing movie I've ever seen in my entire life. It is, it is, that is an understatement. <laughs> it is just a fantastic film. Um, one that I think you could view in endless amount of times. Leos Carax has been making films for about 40 years now, um, uh, sporadically, to say the least. Um, so this one in particular feels exciting and it already has a U.S. Distri distribution with Amazon. So um, hopefully they'll do good by it and put it in some theaters and not just throw it on Prime where it will languish with everything else. Well, Adam Driver and uh, Marianne Cotillard, to see them together will be just a wonderful experience, I hope. And it's a musical, right? Yeah. It is a musical. A musical uh, by the... Um, legendary British band Sparks, um, who have a new documentary coming out. Hi, June 18th, the Sparks yeah. Brothers. Yeah. I think I'm going to watch it this weekend. Mm. The, uh, yeah, Edward Ed Edgar Wright, who I'm a big fan of. I am too. And so, yeah, this will be, uh, it's starting to get, it's going to be fun seeing, seeing movies back. But I didn't know Adam Driver could sing till I saw Marriage Story. And I was like, who knew? Right, I, but yeah. I know he did inside Llewellyn Davis, but that was, wasn't really. <laughs> he doesn't quite sing in that, but what he does in it is very special. Right, so that'll be good. Well, listen, where we, can we find you, Joshua, on social media? I, 
Yeah, um, I am a contributor to The Lens on cinemastlouis.org. I find most of my writing there. Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms, including Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram at Crispy Retlas. And uh, you can find me this Wednesday in person at the Arcadon in Bulema. Well, that's fun. And Peter, where can we find you? Uh, well, I do have a Facebook in search of uh, Picasso. Uh, if you want to look that up, it kind of you can find out what kinds of things I did in, in, in Paris and uh, let you know about the script. And, and uh, I'm going to be here writing, you know, writing and reading this summer, just stuff I want to re uh, read on my own. I've got the, some new books, uh, The Making of Midnight Cowboy and the new Mike Nichols book. So I want to read that one, too. I've heard such uh, good things about it. Yeah, it's excellent. The Mike Nichols book. Yeah, yeah the, that is an excellent book. Yeah, and I just finished uh, the making of Goodfellas, uh, which was which was wonderful. I'm a big Ma Martin Scorsese fan, and uh, I do have a connection with him. That when Liza Minnelli opened our theater, she came in and she gave me a kiss, and supposedly she dated Martin Scorsese and they had an affair. So I have that connection now. I I don't know if that's good or bad or or whatever, but. <laughs> she, she she you know i had to open the door for her she came in and gave me gave me a kiss so uh that's my claim to fame that well, is such a liza thing to do is have a door yes. open for her and sure. to kiss the man yeah she yes. was one yeah she was wonderful she was wonderful so and she has a ton of stories yeah yeah and and the actress who plays her in the halston limited series on netflix is very good Kristen rodriguez yeah, yeah i still have to watch that i want to watch that oh uh, yeah very good very good it's very ryan murphy though but yeah you know take that for what it is <laughs> well anyway so thank you both for being here we will have you again and i'm sorry carl couldn't be part of this he's in a monsoon in in uh, florida so he has to take shelter and uh, we'll hear about his trip to Florida next week. In the meantime, you can read me in the Webster Kirkwood Times and I am on KTRS radio with Ray Hartman every Thursday around 1030. Miller Furniture presents Lynn Benhouse goes to the movies. And then I have my own website, poplifestl.com. And we're here every weekend. So thank you all for coming. And everybody stay safe. Get vaccinated. Enjoy your summer. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.